This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, people, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, This is going to sort of take the place of Holding Court uh, for the next couple weeks. We're gearing up for uh, season two of Holding Court. And uh, already got some great guests lined up, but I want to get a bunch of interviews in the can and done uh, over the next couple of weeks while I will be calling the Australian Open for ESPN. So a little respite from <clears throat> the interview portion of Holding Court, but we'll kind of keep it going here for the next couple of weeks during the Aussie Open with some updates. I'll try to do as many as I can. But, of course, you'll be seeing me if you're in the U.S. uh, live on ESPN over the course of the Australian Open, which uh, let me update you all. By the way, thanks to everyone for the comments and the questions on Twitter and Instagram. I'm trying to get my Insta game going a little better. Twitter has always been my comfort zone, so trying to branch out a little bit with the help of uh, my friends at Mudhouse Media and their social media department. Of course, my daughters, they're the best at it, 14, 12, and 12, so... They have the best handle on that stuff of anyone. So uh, anyway, I posted a video there, uh, put it on Twitter, and I got a lot of good questions and comments. And I will try to get to as many of those as I can. But let me a couple of them were about uh, our coverage at ESPN of the Australian Open. So let me just clear that, clear that up, clarify for everyone what we will be doing. We will be covering the entire tournament as we've done for the past oh, 25, 30 years. In fact, this will be the first year that I'm actually not in Australia uh, since 1990. I started going in 91, which, uh, of, well, not of course. Of course to me, not to you, but that was actually the year I had my best ever result in a Grand Slam in singles. Got to the semifinals. Also got to the finals of doubles, by the way, that same year. So when I came back to New York, I was 12, 14 pounds lighter. Uh, anyway, so that was 91, uh, went back for many years and played uh, up through the sort of late 90s and then continued with ESPN broadcasting. It's been the one major that ESPN has had, oh, for, a, well, the, certainly the longest time as far as covering the entire thing. So when I first started at ESPN uh, covering mostly the Masters events uh, in the U.S. and some of them in Europe, the Australian Open was the only major that we covered, and we always covered it start to finish. So it's going to be bittersweet uh, not being down there this year. Of course, I've been watching uh, quite a bit of the tennis on Tennis Channel over the last uh, week or so as the event's just getting underway. Uh, The exhibition event in Adelaide, of course, which uh, created a little bit of controversy how that came about with the top players, but I think in the end it looked like it was a pretty good decision. Now we've got uh, multiple tournaments going on in, in Melbourne at Rod Laver Arena and the ground to the Australian Open. Uh, a couple of women's events, the ATP Cup for the men, a couple other men's events to try to get the players uh, some matches before the Australian Open. So we will be going to Bristol, Connecticut, which is the home of ESPN. So when you turn on your television and you watch, whether it's SportsCenter or the NFL shows in normal times, not during uh, this COVID pandemic, where many of the shows uh, are being shot and, and broadcast in different locations, some in New York City. Uh, there is a studio in Los Angeles where they do the late-night sports center, where basically Bristol, Connecticut is the home to uh, where 
most of ESPN studios are and pretty much every sports center show with the exception of the late night sports center show take place. Um, and it's a huge compound, uh, and it's grown exponentially over the year since I started. In fact, when I first started, as I said, at ESPN, I did a lot of matches, a lot of tournaments from Connecticut. I used to, we used to sit in a little tiny booth and we would watch on, on basically on a TV screen the, a live feed coming in from Rome or Monte Carlo or Hamburg in those days and call the matches. So we will be doing that again this year. It'll be much more complicated, obviously, with the Australian Open. Uh, the good news is we will have lots of studios at our disposal up there. If you any of you watch the ATP uh, finals from London uh, in mid-November, uh, we covered it from Bristol. It was myself, Chris McKendry, and Brad Gilbert. And we had a whole huge studio to ourselves, which, uh, you know, the technology is amazing. Uh, large screen TVs, huge desks so you can social distance when you're on the air together. All the precautions being taken uh, by all of us there. <clears throat> it's obviously a much more limited amount of people on the grounds at, uh, in Connecticut. The nor I believe normally uh, in a normal time, there's about 4,000 people that work on the grounds, that work at the, at the ESPN headquarters. And if I'm not mistaken, when we were there uh, for the London event, there was about 125 to 150 people total. So it's kind of a ghost town as uh, really just Sports Center is being filmed there with a, uh, a, a smaller crew. Uh, you, the crew is, you know, normally when you go there, they have a whole room to do your, they do your makeup and they put on your mic and they put in your earpiece. And now you pretty much got to figure out how to do everything yourself. You get a little bit of help, but it's a lot of distancing, a lot of mask wearing. Obviously when you go on the air, you're allowed to take your mask off, but you have to have it on at all other times. I'll be taking a test, uh, within the next day or two before I go up there, COVID-19 test, as all of us will do. And it sounds like most of our crew, with the exception of a couple people, will be making the trip to Connecticut uh, to be working. So we'll be covering the, the matches like we always do. Of course, the difference will be we'll be on our time here instead of on Australia time. So it'll be from prime time, East Coast time. We usually, we usually come on, we'll be coming on about 9 p.m. Uh, New York time, so 6 p.m., of course, on the West Coast, and going right up you know, straight through 2, 3 in the morning. 3 in the morning, New York time, by the way, is 7 p.m. Australia time. Uh, so there's, uh, we may be calling those matches live. We may be taking uh, world feed starting at 3 a.m., but we're pretty much going to be on all through the night. So our hours are going to be upside down. Uh, they're putting us up in a, in a local hotel very close to the compound there. Obviously, we've got to do all the social distancing and all the appropriate things, which we will be doing, just as we did sort of when we, when we covered the U.S. Open. Of course, we all traveled in. I didn't because I live in New York um, uh, from around the country, stayed at a hotel there by the airport close to the uh, site of Flushing Meadows. So in Australia, um, we'll be up all night like you are, like when you watch. And uh, we won't be uh, on Australia time like we normally are. So it'll be different, but uh, I'm, of course, excited about the tournament, excited to see how we can pull it off. I know our production team is already hard at work putting things together so that we can uh, be as prepared as we can to give you, the audience watcher, the tennis fan, 
uh, as good of an experience. I was really happy with the with the way it it came across on TV. The the London event, obviously, that's a much um, less complicated situation with just one court. You know, one or two matches a day. So here we're going to have obviously multiple courts, multiple matches, uh, fourteen days. So it will be Sunday evening that we will kick things off. I believe at nine p.m. Again, it sets. Uh, uh, excuse me, my alarm going off there. That is at uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So at the end of the Super Bowl, um, well, you could turn us on during the I think we'll actually be, we might even be on at 7 p.m., which is 11 a.m. the following day in Australia. Uh, of course, the Super Bowl will be going on. So, you know, normally our ratings during the Super Bowl are not great, um, but we'll be there. We'll, we'll probably have one eye on the Super Bowl as well as uh, Mr. Brady and Mr. Mahomes get set to lead their team, so that should be a heck of a game. Looking forward to that. Uh, we'll be heading up. I'll be heading up to Connecticut uh, on Friday uh, as we get ourselves situated. Probably start to have some meetings at night. Try to get our time clocks adjusted. Uh, many of my cohorts will be flying in from around the country, flying in, uh, I believe, on Thursday night or Friday. And again, our first day of uh, live coverage, we might be doing some updates and things on SportsCenter. We're sort of on standby, but we're going to get used to uh, the new environment. We're going to have separate uh, studios, I believe, for uh, us to call matches. Uh, we'll have that big studio set up where we can set the day up and set uh, the agenda for you. So it should be different. It should be interesting. Uh, I'm watching a bit now of the matches taking place uh, Djokovic had a win over Shapovalov, the first uh, matchup in the ATP Cup. That, of course, was Serbia against Canada. Raonic had beaten Lajevic in the uh, opening match for Canada uh, at the number two spot, and then it was Djokovic and Shapovalov. So I, I got to watch quite a bit of that really high level of play, very similar to the match they played a year ago in the same event. I th it, was, it was close. I can't remember if it was straight sets or two, but it was really tight. And this was exactly similar, 7-5, seven, 7-5. Five, seven, five. Uh, this came down to Djokovic doing what he does, which is putting the clamps on when it matters most at the end of the set. Shapovalov, who's improved so much, you know, is he going to be a legit threat to win a major? It's getting closer, but you could see what happens to him late in the set at crunch time against an elite player, well, the elite player certainly on that service in Djokovic is that just, um, you know, a few unforced errors, a few bad decisions creep into the game. But overall, I think he's, he's looking really good. But Djokovic, as always, a solid favorite down under. Rafael Nadal decided not to play um, in the first match for Spain. Now, he did have play in the Adelaide event uh, in the exhibition against Dominic Team, one in straight sets and really an exhibition match. Djokovic... Played a bit, but had a blister on his hand, so didn't go all all in in that practice match. But he certainly looked fine against against Shapovalov. So for Nadal and Djokovic, it's really just about making sure. I wouldn't read anything into the Nadal pulling out with a he said a lower back strain. You know, they're just pacing themselves. They've obviously got had plenty of practice time up in Adelaide where they quarantined uh, for two weeks. The top players did that. Uh, team was involved in that. Sinner, who was a practice player for Nadal. Um, the other guy, I think it was Novak from uh, Austria, who actually had a good win in the, in the uh, ATP Cup yesterday against Fognini. 
And then really the most surprising result in that first day of the ATP Cup, to me anyway, was Berrettini just smoking team. Not so much that he beat him. I mean, you could see that happening on a hard court, but it was, I think it ended up being three and four, maybe two and four. He was up a set and two breaks at one point. I think team got one of them back. Uh, but again, I wouldn't read a whole heck of a lot into that. Remember at the U.S. Open, which team won, finally won his first major. Of course, got some help with uh, Djokovic being disqualified in his match. Uh, but remember in the, in the Cincinnati event, which was played on the grounds of the U.S. Open, he lost his first match their team did. Uh, yeah, I think he won like three or four games um, against it was the Serbian, the other Serbian guys, Phil Krajinovic, I believe it was. So he was just getting used to the conditions. I, I hear the courts are a little bit quicker in Melbourne than they've been. So team, you know, needs a little more time to adjust. So again, the top players are sort of making sure they're getting their matches in, making sure they're getting their practice in and that they're fit and good to go. Serena has looked very good in the couple of times she's been on the court. She played up in Adelaide as well with Osaka. They split sets. Serena won the, won the super tie break. But again, it's an exhibition. But she had her first round match against Gavrilova. Looked great, serving well. Uh, one of the questions that I've got that I got from from those of you on Twitter and Instagram was, "Can Serena go all the way?" The answer to the question is, of course, she can. Uh, will she? Um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't bet on it because uh, again, I think Osaka is that good. I mean, I think if Osaka plays her best at the moment, she's the best player in women's tennis. That doesn't mean she's still pretty up and down, so she could beat herself. Uh, Halep obviously looking pretty good. She had a solid win um, in her first match. She was up in Adelaide as well. So our cohort, uh, Darren Cahill, he's down in Australia. He'll be working for us uh, periodically during the tournament. Of course, his main gig down there will be coaching Simona Halep. She's won two majors, remember. So uh, Australia would seem to be one that she certainly could be one of the favorites to, to win as well. Of course, world number one. Ashley Bart it sounds still sounds kind of weird to say that Ashley Bart since she didn't play at all last year once the pandemic hit of course she won the French Open uh, the year before uh, but she's still ranked number one because uh, they've kept the points on the, the computer for the players both the men and women for longer than they normally do that's fine that makes sense uh, Barty certainly is in with a shot she won her first round match pretty easily there Sophia Kennan the American who was in a full two-week quarantine, by the way, 72 players who were stuck on flights where there was a positive test had to go in a full two-week quarantine, unlike the other players who were able to get out of the hotel for five uh, hours per day. Uh, hopefully you heard my podcast from a week or so ago with Coach Mark Lucera, who was there with, uh, excuse me, with Stevie Johnson, and uh, he gave us some great insight into uh, – you know, what that process was like. So it was very complicated for the players. But Kennan came out, and she won her first match. Um, no problem. In fact, quite a few of the players that were in a full two-week quarantine have won their matches. Uh, Tennis Sandgren, another. I believe he was in a two-week uh, quarantine. So there were a few of them out there. We'll try to track that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the players know how to take care of themselves. They've obviously hit enough tennis balls in their life to – that part of it's not as concerning. It's just the physicality. Uh, they've got to be able to, they had to be able to do things in their room, whether on a bike. I guess they were offered a bike or a treadmill 
to uh, have in their room. I believe most of them picked a bike. Uh, you, you know, they run, tennis players run a lot. So in some ways it's, uh, you know, you get a little break from the pounding, but you can do lots of calisthenic type exercise that we saw the players doing, which was, which was kind of cool, pretty fun to see. I uh, uh, saw a couple of players that as soon as they got out of quarantine, I believe it was like close to midnight a couple nights ago, and some of them went like straight to Melbourne Park to hit balls. Like after midnight, they were out there playing. So uh, pretty pretty amazing. And now you're seeing, you know, you turn on the TV, and it's not a full crowd there in Melbourne at these events. Uh, they're saying that um, – 50% capacity during the, the big tournament, during the Australian Open, but you're seeing fans in the crowd. Uh, you're not seeing any mask, at least from people that are in the crowd, and that's because you know I get a lot of questions on Twitter about this. What's going on? How could they be doing this? This is a terrible message to send to the world. Well, the, the positive message is that Australia, because they took such um, strong measures you know, early on and they locked things down like big time, in that country more than we did in this country, more than they did in any European countries and so on. They basically squashed a virus. I mean, there's so few minimal cases, if any. I think they had one. I just tweeted a, a story that they had one, I believe, one case in Perth, which is on the other side of Australia. It's like the opposite. It's like New York to California, completely the other side of the country. Uh, one case, and they went into like a five-day lockdown everybody in the whole uh, city, which is a you know, reasonably sized city. So they've taken it extremely seriously, and I guess they're reaping the benefits of it now, which is some semblance of normalcy. When I talk to my friends that are in Australia, they basically say everything is, is, is back to normal. I think they go into indoor settings with a, with a huge group. Maybe they, they, they wear masks, and obviously people can make that decision. But for the most part, there's basically no virus in the country at all. So Australia has been able to uh, uh, control it, and that's why they've been able to put this tournament on and look like they're, they're going to. And I think it'll, it'll be a, really the, probably the biggest international sporting event since the pandemic hit with uh, this kind of a crowd on hand. And, and they're maybe even saying by the end of the tournament, when they're down to just one court, the Rod Laver Arena, that maybe it'll be more than 50%. So I think they're going to see how it goes um, they've got the, the compound, the Australian Open compound, the uh, Melbourne Park, it's called, set up a, into three different areas. So I think you can buy a ticket for one of those three areas so that you know, people don't congregate too much in, in one area. But again, if there's no virus at all, it shouldn't really matter. But uh, I'm not making those decisions. The government in Australia seems to have been doing a pretty darn good job. So the last thing I'm going to do is uh, offer any advice to them, particularly when uh, we see what's been going on uh, in our country for a while. It, it is amazing that it was, uh, I feel like it was like yesterday, I was down here looking at my podcast machine, which I'm now talking into. It was almost a year ago. It was almost, it was right when I got back from Australia, the end of February. It was about a month later when I got diagnosed with COVID. And then I ended up here in my basement where I am now, where I normally do my podcast from. I got the TV on with the tennis on in the background. Actually, it's Venus Williams and Kvitova is a replay. I know Venus lost the first in a tiebreak, but I need to check and see uh, what happened in the result there if she ended up winning it. But it, it, it's, it's incredible that it's been this long and we're all continuing to live this uh, situation. And it's like, how much longer are we going to 
be dealing with this. My wife and I were talking about it last night. You know, she's like, this is going to be going on like for years. I mean, our kids are, you know, growing up. This is becoming like the new normal. Uh, we've been lucky that our school here and where we live in Westchester County has been pretty much open and in school learning uh, for the most part, obviously with masks and distance and the whole thing. But wow, I mean, it is, uh, it's just unbelievable that we're still here and uh, vaccines are rolling out and you're hearing that's a good thing, but then you hear other reports, oh, the vaccine's not, you know, what if it's not safe or what are these uh, different strands coming? Will the vaccine protect against that? And it's like, well, we're just living in a time where we just, we don't really know. So take care of yourselves, everyone. Try to be smart. I mean, I, I had the virus. I had a mild case of it back again last spring. I was one of the first people to get it at least in my area in New York, where it was a hot hotbed for a while. And, uh, man, I go back and remember I called the, you know, calling doctors, what do I do? Uh, just, you know, take a couple of Tylenol, you know, uh, distance, don't see anybody in your family. Luckily, I have a door from my basement I can walk outside, so I take my dog out for a walk. Uh, but uh, take some Tylenol, and, you know, whatever you do, don't go to the hospital. Don't, you know, because nobody knew it. And still, if... You know, obviously the treatments seem like they've gotten better. People um, seem like they can get treated better when they get it, but it's just scary, absolutely scary stuff. So anyway, back to the tennis. I, I also got a few comments from, from you on uh, social media, and I've gotten them quite a bit about um, my, you know, I was so excited I finally got a sponsor, you know, my first sponsor. So uh, for my podcast, of course, was my pillow. Okay, that was a couple months ago. So I already knew um, the the owner, the head of my pillow, had some you know uh, sort of interesting political philosophies. Now we're all, of course, allowed to have this is America, right? Everybody can have their philosophies. So when I first um, started doing the the promos, of course, I got a lot of feedback on social media. Patrick, what are you doing? You can't have this be your sponsor. Uh, this is terrible, you know, don't you know? And, uh, and so, so the first thing I thought was, wait a second, it, it is a, it, it, we're supposed to be a free country. We're supposed to be able to have these ideas. So I talked to my partners at Mudhouse Media. I said, oh, do we, you know, what do you think? I mean, I feel like, I mean, just because they're my sponsor doesn't mean I have to agree or disagree with whatever he says. Obviously, the guy's a bit outlandish. Then came the events that happened on January 6th in the Capitol and old Mike continuing to spout this stuff. Uh, with the videos, and so I was like, oh, this is, I mean, by the way, it's not like I'm getting a lot of money, okay? I'm trying to, I'm trying to build this podcast to where maybe one day I could actually make a little money, but it ain't happening now. So if anybody thinks like it's some big money deal, I was just proud of the fact that actually there's a company that wanted to sponsor my little old podcast here. So we pulled the plug. So those of you who were giving me a hard time, the plug has been pulled on old my pillow. Uh, of course, uh, uh, I guess a other places to pull, pull the plug as well. But uh, sorry. So that was um, a thing that came up. The other thing that came up um, as you guys were asking me questions, let's see. Nishant wants to know, how come tennis has become so inaccessible on TV again? This was on Twitter. Well, it's not inaccessible if you have tennis channel. I realize that tennis channel doesn't, isn't carried everywhere. And it doesn't have the reach that, um, <clears throat> obviously, we have at ESPN. But, they look, they do a great job covering all these events. We will be, we at ESPN will be covering tennis uh, starting, as I said, at the Australian Open. So if you don't have Tennis Channel, uh, try to get it. 
Um, and then you can follow pretty much any professional tennis that's going on. Uh, who do I like at the ATP Cup? Andrea Van Slyke wanted to know on Twitter. I'm leaning Russia myself, though I would love to see my dear Canadians pull off the massive. Well, it wouldn't be a massive upset for Canada to pull it off, though they did, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, lose their opening match uh, to Serbia. Russia is a good call because you got Rublev and Medvedev, who both won their matches against Spain. Um, and those guys can actually play decent doubles as well. It might come, it probably will come down to the doubles. When you get down to the, the bigger matches, semis, finals, I think they go to they, they, they play like a round robin, uh, and then they go to maybe quarter semis, finals. I believe that's how it goes. But it probably is only three matches in the same day. So it's two singles. So if it's one all, then it goes to the doubles. So you can expect that when the powerhouse teams match up, you know, likely there'll be some one-ones. That's why I think the leaning towards Russia is not a bad call, though don't underestimate Spain, although they're now 0-1, because Rafa is a great doubles player. Um, Karenia Busta plays solid doubles. they got Bautista Agu as well, who uh, I think they, wait, what was it? Spain played, I believe, no, Spain won, actually. They beat Australia, so excuse me. I think it was uh, Bautista Agu beat Dimonor. So that was a Spain win right there. So Spain is going to be in the mix Obviously, Serbia, who won it last year, I believe it's over Spain in the final. Djokovic beat Nadal um, and then uh, won the doubles. So the doubles, uh, you, you would like to see that, that Spain uh, against Serbia wouldn't be bad. Um, you've got Italy with Berrettini, Fognini. They won the doubles. That was against Austria because it was 1-1 in that one. Uh, but you probably have to favor Serbia Spain, I would think, obviously because the two big guys and the two those two big guys can play doubles, and so can Krajinovic, who played doubles with Djokovic. They beat Canada uh, over Shapovalov and Raonic. Shapovalov's played a lot of doubles and good doubles. Raonic should be a good doubles player, but doesn't play that much. Um, so his return game, you know, can be dodgy, but he's obviously got a monster serve and can can cover the net. So. Uh, I'm trying to find out who won that uh, Venus and Kvitova because I'm watching the replay right now. So let me just check that right here. WTA. The app. Some people ask me about the app too because it used to be the ATP and the and the uh, WTA app was shared. So somehow that's disappeared. So for. So much for the idea that the, the two tours are going to start working together because uh, that has not happened because they're like separate. Now the ATP is going back to its own app, individual Venus lost. So Kvitova won 7 6 7 5. Uh, you had Muguruza. She's certainly going to be a factor as well. She remember she made the final last year, losing to Sophia Kennan. Uh, you know, way more wide open on the women's side. But clearly, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and many of you asked me, Ken uh, can, can, uh, oh, won 7-5 retired against Georgie. Can, of course, Serena can win it. But I just think, you know, she doesn't have the uh, dominance factor. Um, and uh, But she could. But if I'm picking a player to win it, well, give me a few more days. I got to see how this, you know, the first couple tournaments play out. The men's side is more clear-cut to me. It's, it's obviously Joker's a huge favorite. 
Uh, although team, I think, could be in there. Nadal, you know, it's his usual suspects. We'll see how Sitsipas, Medvedev, and, and so on look. And, you know, obviously the usual questions, can any American men make a run? We know there'll be some American women that definitely can. American men, another story. Opelka may be the best shot. Sebastian Corda, by the way, who's not playing down under, but we get to pop him because he's been phenomenal the last couple months. Uh, he's up to 88 in the world now. He won a challenger, big challenger tournament over in Europe. He won another event. Uh, didn't he? Oh, he lost in the final in Del Rey, which they had the first uh, tournament of the year in Del Rey Beach. A 250. <clears throat> My prediction is Sebastian Corda within 18 months, maybe less, will be the highest ranked American male player. Uh, thank you, Peter Corda, for uh, raising him in this country and his wife, of course. They have some couple great golfers and now a great tennis player. So he's, uh, they were both ten professional tennis players, Peter and his wife. So Sebastian is uh, come along very, very nicely. Wait till you see him play, if you haven't. Uh, quite, uh, quite, a, quite a kid, quite a backhand, too. So uh, that's a little update for you from what's happening. We will continue doing this. Maybe I'll make him a little shorter. Again, keep sending your questions to me, either on uh, Twitter at Patrick McEnroe or Instagram as well, if you want to uh, chime in, send me some thoughts and ideas. Again, the holding court, my season two, is going to start post-Australian Open. So I'm thinking late February, maybe early March. So I am. And by the way, if you have any ideas of some guests, you can let me know there too. I finally got some help in tracking down some guests because I've been doing the whole thing pretty much by myself. But my partners at Mudhouse Media stepping up their game as well. I'm trying to step up mine to keep up with them so we can bring you uh, great guests and uh, keep this podcast moving forward. And, and, and who knows? Maybe I'll find another sponsor. Maybe they won't be my pillow. Well, they won't be my pillow. We know that. But maybe they won't be um, creating such other kinds of waves, if you know what I'm talking about. Take care, everybody. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.